This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Against the better judgment of respectable gentlefolk everywhere, this is the wildly inappropriate podcast of Arthur Greenleaf Holmes, England's only poet laureate of the piss pot. This podcast is not for children, the dull-witted and infirm, or the morally indignant. Arthur takes no responsibility, and never has, for damn near anything. Today's episode, How Arthur's Peep Show Inspired a Poem. Hello everyone, this is Arthur Greenleaf Holmes, and once again, this is the wildly inappropriate podcast of me. Me, me, me. And I want to say thank you very much for joining me once again. I am recording this this time, not from my home, but from uh, Arlington, Texas, because I am once again appearing at the Scarborough Renaissance Festival, which is in Waxahachie, Texas. And that's only about a half an hour south of Dallas. I've been performing at this show, oh, since I was a young lad in my early 20s. And uh, it's like coming home again, in, in a sense, for me, because I just am very fond of this show very fond of the audience, and we have just completed our second weekend, and we have five more left, including Memorial Day. So uh, if you wish to see my show and to see some other fantastic acts live and in person, come on down to Scarborough Renaissance Festival. It's a tremendous time. Let's see, today I want to talk about um, one of my poems, and there's a lot to talk about with it. But before I do that, I do want to remind you that the uh, off-Broadway show that we had planned for uh, well over a year now is tentatively scheduled for the month of November. That may change, of course, as everything seems to be changing these days. But if you want to stay abreast of that situation, then look at my website, which is arthurgreenleafhomes.com, and you can find out more information also on my Facebook and my Instagram. I try to keep people updated as we know more about the uh, intended date. Today I want to talk about my poem, Ode to an Extremely Provocative Knothole. Now, there are some poems, I, when I look back at them, I, I really don't remember where I was and what condition I was in in my mind, what were the circumstances in which I wrote the poem. Not so with this one. I know exactly where I was when I wrote it. I know exactly what it was that gave rise to the idea. I know which other poems sort of informed the way I wrote this poem. I, I want to share that with you. Well, all right, so how did I come up with the idea for the poem? This was back in the days when I was still transitioning from a, a street beggar to a poet. I didn't have a stage show yet. I had very few poems written. Maybe I had the, let's see, I had I Bought a Cheese and Thought of You. I had The Wife Addresseth Her Husband. I had Live Every Day as If It's Your Last. I had The Wee Irish Man. And that was about it, I think. I don't think I'd written Menstrual Hut at that point. But as I mentioned before, there were times on festival days when I would try to play the poet and I was quite frustrated by the experience. No one was stopping, no one would listen to me. So I would go back and forth between playing the poet and playing the beggar. Well, I'm at the Minnesota Renaissance Festival and oh, it's very difficult for me to remember what years these were. I would say this was probably around the year 
2009, perhaps, something like that. 2009, maybe 2010, probably 2009. And I'm playing the, the, the beggar, the beggar Scratch. And I'm sitting next to a tree. And I look over at the tree, and there's a hole in it, a knot hole. But not just any old knot hole. It, it, it looks like a woman's vagina. And uh, this is right in front of one of the pubs. And I had a crowd of people around me. And in an act of utter irresponsibility, I started doing things to the knot hole. I started pressing my face against it. I believe at one point I straddled the knot hole and went at it. Uh, yes, very highbrow stuff, I know. And my friend joined me. as a friend who was the, uh, the director of the show, but he, at this point he was also playing another character, another street beggar character. And uh, we both took turns at the knot hole. When this was all over... We had determined that we'd gone too far. <laughs> and I remember talking to him saying, you can't do that again. <laughs> but we had done it. The next day, I'm the beggar again, and I'm sitting out there, and I think, well, I, I don't want to lose everything about the knot hole. So what I did is uh, I went to my friend Mark Goldfarb, who owns and runs the Catskill Mountain Moccasin Shop. Mark's a very good friend of mine. And uh, he lives up in Woodstock, New York, and he's always been a supporter of the show. And I asked him if I could have a little bit of the, the fleece that he sells, that he lines his moccasins with, a little white fleece, sheepskin. And I cut out a little triangle of it, went back to the knot hole, and I stapled the triangle of sheepskin right above the hole to make it look like a groomed vagina. And then I took a piece of burlap and I stapled it over everything, and I turned it into a peep show. And what I would do is this. I'd sit outside of the hole. I'd see someone approaching, and I'd say, Psst, come here. Take a look at this. And I'd say, Three, two, one. And I'd lift up the burlap. Then they would look at the hole. Then they would look at me. And I'd look back at them and raise my eyebrows suggestively a few times. <laughs> and cover it up and say, All right, break it up. Break it up. Show's over. <laughs> they would give me money for this. And then the people who saw the knot hole would stand off to the side in order to see the next person who came up and watch their experience. Now, one day I'm doing this and this woman comes up and I have already a big crowd of people who have already seen the knot hole. It's a big hit and they're waiting for the next victim. And this woman comes up. She's got tiny little wire glasses and she looks rather concerned about the world in general. And I probably should have let her go, but I did the same thing. Would you like to see something? And I go, three, two, one. I lift up the burlap. She looks at the hole. She looks at me. I wink at her. She says, shame on you. And she walks away. And as she's walking away, I could see that she's seeing all these people gathered who are laughing. And I watch her. She slows down her walk. She stops completely. Her shoulders slump, her head bows down, and then she turned around and she gave me a dollar. <laughs> so that was the beginning of the whole knot hole experience. And on a side note, I've got some friends, two friends, they're a married couple. I've known them for many, many years up in Minneapolis. And they play clowns. They do a clown show. Oh, I'll tell you their names. Lloyd and Rosie. They do a, uh, a show called The Wacky Chicken Show. And... Uh, they had seen the knot hole, and I'd done the whole reveal to them as well. And this really, really bothered my friend Rosie. And she kept talking to her husband Lloyd about it, you know. And Lloyd came up to me finally one day, and he says that the other night they were in bed together, and they're staring at the ceiling, and Rosie is still talking about what bothers her about the knot hole. She says, you know what it is, Lloyd? What really bothers me about the knot hole 
It's that it's groomed. As if to say that even in nature, a tree has to groom itself in a way that a man... And Lloyd says, Rosie, it's a tree. And she burst out laughing. And I guess that was the end of that argument. Anyway, uh, that is how I began thinking about a poem. And the way I wrote the poem, I remember I thought, this has to be a poem now. I mean, I'm doing this as a beggar, but it's also a great subject for a poem. And I remember I started writing it. And the morning before, it was the morning before a festival day at the Minnesota Renaissance Festival. The same year as we were uh, doing the, the Knothole Peep Show. And I'm sitting towards the front gate. My friend Casey, she worked at, I believe, a clothing booth right up by the front gate. And I, I, I was sitting by a tree, a different tree. And I'm, I'm writing this poem. And it's just kind of pouring out of me. It's coming very easily. I'm getting really excited as I'm writing it. And I'm laughing to myself. And I think that Casey was watching me writing this from a distance. And uh, I think she was enjoying watching the whole scene unfold. But it just came pouring out of me. And I remember finishing the poem and being really excited about it. Because it seemed like the next turn of the screw in the development of the poet character. What I was thinking of when I was writing this poem, I was thinking of some of John Keats's ode, especially his ode to autumn. And I've said before that the connection between my poetry and the poems that inspire them are very, very dubious at best. They're very fragile. Um, but I just wanted something that maybe sounded a little bit like a Keats ode. John, John Keats, for those of you who know me, he is the poet that haunts me the most. He died at the age of 25 years old, and as my uh, my mentor, I guess, Patrick Keene, who taught at Lemoyne College, pointed out to me that when Keats died at 25, at that point in his life, he had already created more great poetry than any other writer in the English language of that age, of 25 years old, and that includes Milton, and that includes Shakespeare. So to think that that talent was lost at that age is really something quite, um, it's, a, it's a sobering thought. And John Keats, his greatest odes that he wrote, he wrote in one year, all in one year. He had probably the most remarkable single year of writing of any other poet. Today's episode is sponsored by Squirnup. From the makers of Clamato, those cocktail juice visionaries who first looked at a clam and thought, I'd like to juice that fucker, comes our flavorful new seafood vegetable mashup. That's right, the earthy taste of turnip combined with the briny burst of squid. It's a high tide of taste. Squirnup, you came for the turnip, you stayed for the squid. And look for our entire raft of seafood cocktail juices like Broctopus, Cranchovy, Barracuda Vega, Mussel Sprouts, Codvocado, my personal favorite, Chumquat. Squirt up. Heave away. I want to read some of To Autumn, if not all of it. I'll see how far I go. But this is one of my favorite poems. But here we go. Season of mists and mellow fruitfulness. Close bosom friend of the maturing sun. Conspiring with him how to load and bless with fruit the vines that round the thatch eaves run. To bend with apples the mossed cottage trees, and fill all fruit with ripeness to the core, to swell the gourd and plump the hazel shells with a sweet kernel, to set budding more and still more later flowers for the bees, until they think warm days will never cease, for summer has o'erbrimmed their clammy cells. Who hath not seen thee amid thy store? Sometimes whoever seeks abroad may find thee sitting careless on a granary floor, 
thy hair soft lifted by the winnowing wind, or on a half-reaped furrow sound asleep, drowse with the fume of poppies, while thy hook spares the next swath and all its twined flowers. And sometimes, like a gleaner, thou dost keep steady thy laden head across a brook, or by a cider-press, with patient look, thou watchest the last oozings, hours by hours. Where are the songs of spring? Aye, where are they? Think not of them. Thou hast thy music, too. While barred clouds bloom the soft-dying day, and touch the stubble plains with rosy hue, then in a wailful choir the small gnats mourn among the river sallows borne aloft, or sinking as the light wind lives or dies, and full-grown lambs loud bleat from hilly bourne, hedge crickets sing, and now with treble soft the red breast whistles from a garden croft, and gathering swallows twitter in the skies. Beautiful poem, a beautiful, honest poem. Can in the very beginning of this poem, it is just full of oozing ripeness of this luxurious fullness of autumn that autumn gives you that autumn brings and even the bees are so happy that they think that as he says warm days will never cease but they're being deceived aren't they because they will cease and there's a certain as i said honesty in this poem it's not just life it's not just the bounty and the harvest it's it's the end of that also it's death it's winter and I really love how he makes Autumn a woman at one point. He has her sitting, sitting by a granary floor, and that, that image of, watch, of, of sitting by a cider press and watching the last oozings hours by hours as if Autumn itself is oozing out of a spigot. And listen to this, the fume of poppies. More than any other poet, John Keats makes me feel the senses. He makes me swoon. He makes me... Um, heavy with, with, with remorse, with delight. And he has this ability, what, what they call the fusion experience in John Keats, as in the Nightingale Ode when he says, my heart aches and a drowsy numbness pains my sense. There's numbness and pain at the same time. If there's one word that I apply to Keats all the time, it's bittersweet. He just moves me. He makes me feel. So when I was trying to write, now to transition to my poem, right? When I was trying to write my ode, I wanted something that at least sounded a little bit like a Keatsian ode. And uh, so here it is. And oh, yes, here's another thing. In my show, I used to uh, have this knot hole that I would use. I found this knot hole. I had a different knot hole and it was serviceable enough. But then one day I was working at the Texas Renaissance Festival and uh, somebody in the audience after the show was over somehow swiped my knot hole. I thought to myself, who, who takes someone's knot hole? What was he going to do with it? How was he going to press that knot hole into service? And couldn't he have found his own knot hole? Anyway, I was living in Oregon at the time, and I went fly fishing with a friend of mine who was a Christian minister. And, and I, I say this in my show, so forgive me if this is repetitive, but I told him that I needed a new knot hole for my show. He was familiar with my show, and he, he thought, yes, he agreed. He thought I needed a new knot hole, and he insisted that we stop fishing. So we started searching along the banks of the Clackamas River. This is in Oregon. And about 20 minutes later, he lets up this big triumphant whoop. And he holds up this piece of wood and he shows it to me. And I looked at it. And I said, it's, it's just beautiful. And he said, uh, Arthur, you're not going to believe this. But 10 seconds before I found that knot hole, I asked Jesus to send us the perfect knot hole. And I told him that his Lord and Savior was sending us some awfully mixed messages. 
Now, I had this knot hole that he found for, for quite a few years. And just about a year and a half ago, I mailed it to myself in Florida in advance of a show I was going to do there. And when my package arrived, the knot hole was missing. So I have had two knot holes stolen from me. And this one really hurts because that piece of wood, if you remember it, it was the sort of thing I, I will never find again. I found another knot hole that looks, um, it, it looks uh, biologically correct, but it doesn't have the same features. The other one had a hole in it. I could look through it and look at someone in the audience, and this one doesn't. So I suppose I'm saying if anyone out there has a very remarkable looking piece of wood that looks uh, like a woman's privates, then, you know, please let me know. Just let me know. And when you're hiking, just keep an eye out. Something's going to happen. I know we'll find something. I'm not despairing. Anyway, uh, here is Ode to an Extremely Provocative Knothole. Thou hole, thou lurid, lusty hole. The spreading cherry bears her soul. She spills her lobed, liquescent lips and bids the sap rise tween my hips. What fleshy knots arouse my sense to sweet bilabial recompense. Fair hole. Oft times I've walked alone, in verdant forests o'ergrown, to flee the soured memory of woman's love fast fled of me. T'was all for naught, for now I see the fairest holes do grow on trees, while mortal form but grows distressed and hangs in sad cascades of flesh. Those teats that gravity once cheated in time must flop to earth defeated. But thou, fair hole, makest my mood lighter to think next year thou wilt be tighter. I would that I had wood enough to stuff inside thy mossy muff. I'd strip thy bark, I'd tap thee tree, I'd poke thy precious choke cherry. Or would I stroke thy pokeberry? It matters not thy holes for me. So that's that poem. Uh, I, I, I want to end this by saying that if you would like a little bit of a treat and you haven't heard it yet, go to my YouTube channel, Arthur Greenleaf Holmes YouTube, and the first of my videos you will see is that of John Cleese reciting my poem, I Bought a Cheese and Thought of You. And by the time that you hear this podcast, you can go to that same YouTube channel and you will see Penn Jillette reciting my poem, She Shanty. It looks like we've fallen down a bit of a rabbit hole and we're looking for other celebrities to recite my poems. I don't know where this ends, but I'm happy for the journey. Thank you once again, everyone. Take care of yourselves and keep tuning in. Goodbye. This has been the wildly inappropriate podcast of Arthur Greenleaf Holmes. Counselors are standing by for those of you in need of a good talk down. Please send all complaints to the Ministry of Abiding Indifference whose address we haven't yet gotten around to. Follow Arthur on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and your local police blotter, and go to arthurgreenleafholmes.com to find out how you can be responsible for bringing this pervert to an off-Broadway theater. We'll see you next week. Toodles! Posted on dimlywit.com.